Hi, it's Sophie Pascoe here and you're listening to my podcast, Outside the Lanes. A podcast proudly brought to you by Westpac New Zealand and produced by Raw Collective. To take on any challenge successfully, first you need to take care of yourself. As a Westpac ambassador, I've been exploring specific areas of growth to inspire you and I to achieve whatever we set our sights on. This is a podcast series that focuses on key themes that are very personal to me, such as leadership, values, balance, health, and more. I have carefully selected mentors who are successful in their field to have beautiful conversations with. In each and every episode, I will be asking a new interviewee about their learnings, their challenges, their wins, their journey, ultimately getting under the skin of what it takes to be in their lane. In today's episode, I'm talking with Emma Watkins, most commonly known as the Yellow Wiggle, from Australia's popular music group, The Wiggles. The conversation dives into the theme of health, as well as Emma's journey into stardom, and what it's like to be a famous role model in the public eye. As the only female member of The Wiggles, Emma initially faced backlash from parents when she replaced one of the four founding male members back in 2012, but found children adapted to the change with ease. Now, eight years on, Emma has built an incredibly strong reputation with families worldwide and is showing no sign of slowing down, with ambitions to continue writing and producing performances that model pro-social behaviour and inclusiveness. In 2018, Emma was diagnosed with stage 4 endometriosis and underwent surgery, forcing her out of upcoming tours for a six-week period. By speaking publicly about her health struggles, Emma has helped raise awareness for the disease and continues to use her platform to encourage conversations around women's health. Emma is as positive and bubbly as her on-stage persona, passionate about sign language and with the recent completion of a diploma, she is excited to weave in more Australian sign language and enjoys taking requests for content that meets the needs of her young audience. Emma's down-to-earth attitude is uplifting, and it's an absolute pleasure to have her on today's show. I hope you enjoy. So you are known as Emma Wiggle from The Wiggles, and more prominently known as The Yellow Wiggle, taking over Greek, and you're the only female member, which is very exciting. Have you always been into performing? I don't know if I could do anything else. And I think for me growing up as a wiggle watcher, I was inspired to dance because I used to watch the wiggles as a kid. And I guess for wiggles that are turning 30 years old next year, it's right in my child zone. So I'm only 31. So the wiggles and I kind of we're having our birthdays at the same time. (laughs) But I do remember going to see the Wiggles live in concert and at community halls and at shopping centres. Like it was a huge part of my upbringing and going to the concert with my sister. And I think what is interesting now is that we look at some of these old live concerts that were filmed of the Wiggles back in like 1995, 1996. And there is one particular concert where they cut away from the Wiggles and see the audience. And my sister and I are there dancing. And I think it was 1996. (laughs) Uh, So I definitely felt like most of my performing really had come from seeing shows just like the Wiggles. And apparently I said to my mum after seeing the Irish dancers on the Wiggles show, I really want to do that. So she took me to the local Irish dancing school. And at that time 
they said that I was too young to start dancing. So I was about four at the time. Whereas now children start dancing at two. (laughs) It's a whole different world. And my teacher said it might be best for me to start ballet first. So I did a year of ballet to start with. And then when I was five, I started Irish dancing and ballet. And I just kept training in those styles forever on. So you've really just been singing and dancing since you were a child. How much training did that involve? For me, actually joining the Wiggles was the first time I really had to sing. So for my whole life, pretty much, I've only really ever danced. And it was such a big part of my life that I would be dancing almost every afternoon after school and then Saturdays and going to competitions or festivals or or whatever. And I think finally, when I had a chance to go to high school, I ended up going to a performing arts high school here. And my mum was so happy because she wouldn't have to drive me everywhere. She's like, right, you could just do it all here. We don't have to drive you to seven different places. Because I was doing ballet somewhere and then I was doing jazz somewhere else and Irish dancing somewhere else. So I have to thank my mum and my dad really for driving me to every dance school here in Australia. Gosh, I can so relate to that. My parents taking me to early morning training, 4.30 in the morning, got to be at the pool, in the pool at 5.30. And as soon as I got my driver's license, it was like an absolute relief. (laughs) We don't have to do it anymore. I mean, parents and carers and guardians, they do so much, even grandparents. So look, I think now we can be grateful for what they sacrificed at the time. Oh, totally. And do you have siblings and other family members? I just have a younger sister. She never really was that into dancing, which mum was thankful for. (laughs) But she did do gymnastics and acrobatics. And so that really took up a lot of the other time as well. But I do remember being at so many dance competitions that my mum felt really sorry for my sister that we had to drag her along to all the competitions. When you're that young, generally anyone who's in the competition will receive a trophy. And so after, you know, so many consecutive weekends, I think my mum felt really bad for my sister Haley. And she ended up buying her a trophy and writing best sister on it and gave it to her. So, yeah, look, my sister was all in it too. <laughs> oh, every family member's part of the support team in some sort of way, aren't they? I mean, actually me and my sister are very polar opposites as well. So she was very much into performing and arts and She's an absolute academic with just passing with distinction in med school. And then I'm like, obviously, this loved to go to school for a bit of lunch and focus on sport. <laughs> you and your sister sound like my sister and I to a T. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about how you got involved in the Wiggles. You know, you said that you were at a concert at the Wiggles when you were young. And now you're obviously one of the Wiggles, the yellow one. I mean, I remember going and watching the Wiggles myself. And of course, you'd always pick your colour to your personality and you have said in previous interviews that it does fit your personality being the yellow wiggle. Let's talk a little bit how you got into the wiggles, how you became yellow Emma wiggle. Now I've been with the company for 11 years but we've been wiggling for eight so it does feel like essentially a really long time but it feels like a really short time too and after I finished performing arts at my school I had a really terrible dance injury and so I ended up finding film editing as something that I loved during rehabilitation and then ended up finding my way to Sydney Film School and learned editing and producing and I just loved making films and then that kind of wiggled its way back to university and I went and did media arts and production at a university here in Sydney and then that kind of led to lots of different 
mainly film production. I had a film production company and I was auditioning on the side and I had auditioned for Wiggles previously. Sorry, can you hear my rooster? That's really loud. I'm so sorry. There's no way for him to be quiet. (laughs) He should be over that by now. It's not the morning. (laughs) So I was already auditioning. I'd auditioned for the Wiggles in the past. I'd been there. Nothing had happened, but I definitely auditioned with hundreds of other people. And the audition came back up again specifically (laughs) for the Dorothy the Dinosaur show. They were needing a ballet dancing fairy to film in a new DVD. And so I was like, ah, that's really easy. You know, I can do that. I can be a ballet fairy and my hair's very fairy-like. It's very curly. It looks like a bird's nest. I was like, great, this is awesome. And the wonderful thing about that audition was that they already sent through what you had to learn before you got there. So it was cutting a lot of steps. Like it was great. You know, we got a video over the weekend. I learned the routine. I arrived on the Monday and To me, I really enjoyed the experience being in the audition, but there was about 50 girls and towards the end, like we all did the dancing and, you know, it was meant to be about ballet and dancing. At the end they said, does anybody want to attempt to sing? And I was like, oh, look, absolutely not. (laughs) Whereas normally in an audition they encourage you to just do everything, like even if you can't, if you don't feel strong, just like have confidence and get in there. This particular audition I was like, no, I'm not feeling that. Four girls out of many of us decided that they would feel confident singing. And I was like, wow, good on you because I'm definitely not going to try that. And they tried it and it was really hard, you know, having to dance, jump, sing, ballet, you know, get all the steps right, move with the people that were already there as part of the cast. And I honestly couldn't have imagined myself doing that at that time. And it was only a couple of days later, I was at uni in a lecture and I got a call from Wiggles and they were saying, we'd really like you to come out and read some scripts. And I was like, wow, I didn't even, I wasn't even one of those people that were brave enough to sing. So I drove back out to um, Wiggles HQ. And when I got there, they're like, here's the contract. And I was like, oh, I thought we were reading, reading a script now. And they're like, oh no, you've got the job. You're filming next week. And I was like, oh, And I didn't realise that at the time I would be jumping into a cast that had already toured that show for a year. So I was the only new person. I was really, really apprehensive about arriving into a group of people that were already really familiar with the script. They knew what was going on. And so that to me was really daunting. And I knew I was going to be there for one day of filming. And it was a really long day. And I do remember arriving and seeing Lockie and he was playing Captain Feathersword in the same production. And immediately we got on like a house on fire. We're like, hey. And he was so welcoming and warm. And he's like, don't worry, come in. We don't, don't worry about the script. Like just have fun. And I I do remember that day distinctly because everybody was so nice and so inviting that it really was a magical first day in this amazing company. Oh, that's so nice. Do you remember having to make that phone call to your mum and being like, mum, I'm a wiggle? (laughs) So I toured with the Dorothy the Dinosaur show and then arrived as a wiggly dancer and Anthony had seen some of my film work and he was like, it'd be great if you could do some filming for us and might film some stuff for YouTube or the website and would you be a wiggly dancer? And already at that point I was like, oh, this is amazing. I'm so excited. And the whole thought of touring with the original lineup of the Wiggles was just 
that was a dream come true for me. But when Anthony asked me to be a wiggle, which was backstage before a show in Sydney, A, I thought he was joking. B, I didn't know what to do. C, he asked me to come with him to tell Lockie because he knew that we were really good friends. And I was like, oh, why don't you tell him? It's your news. I, I don't even know what to tell him. And then D, I just was so overcome. I didn't really know what to do. And Anto was like, you can't really tell anybody. And I was like, oh, <laughs> So it was like a two-week period where we were just like, yeah, couldn't tell mum, couldn't tell dad, nobody. You were just kind of like bottling up. You're like, what am I going to do? But at that time for Simon and Lockie and I, we were really anxious about how we were going to fulfil this kind of legendary idea of the original Wiggles. And particularly because the three of us were already on tour, we weren't auditioning for the role as such. I never thought that that would ever be something that would be offered to me. So really it was a really massive surprise, but also at the time we were told that the announcement of us as a new lineup would be announced at the end of the year. And this had happened to be in April, we were asked. So we were like, oh, we've got eight months to get ready. No problem. After two weeks, they had a decision in the management to actually announce the retirement and the new lineup together and that it was going to be in two weeks' time. And at that time, I was very worried. (laughs) I was like, oh, no, we don't have eight months to get ready. And so, look, it was the best decision now looking back because it gave everybody a chance across the world to meet us as Wiggles in training, especially for children with additional needs who really don't like change. And so, it gave us that time to have a rapport with the audience and mm-hmm. and honestly introduce ourselves personally and physically. Like we went to every country and, you know, had the originals and then a one song we would come forward and we had shirts on that had Wiggles in Training written on it. And so for that, I think for the three of us, was the best time that we could have had to learn on the job, like an apprenticeship, but it was a live apprenticeship and everybody was watching us at the same time. <laughs> What do you make of being the first wiggle? Was that ever that significant to you or you just absolutely fitted in like family? How do you think the children found having a female wiggle? Essentially the children didn't really notice or they're not really making that much of a fuss, mostly in children that are, you know, in that really pre-literal stage, early development. They don't tend to know the difference between a boy or a girl either. So it wasn't too significant, but for parents, it was a whole different situation. And mainly for teenagers that were really worried that they were so concerned with the Wiggles being what they knew from their childhood, they were really worried about me being part of the group. And so for a long time, I received a lot of flack and a lot of criticism and (laughs) negative opinions about being a female as part of that group. And so, you know, we had to manage that. But really, as people had a chance to see us or come to the show, they realised that we weren't trying to get rid of the originals. It was meant to be about carrying it on for a new generation of children. And really, most of the people that were making complaints weren't watching the show currently. Um, But honestly, that really, it took about two years for that perception to change. And fair enough, because we had the same kind of anxiety about how we were going to become as relaxed and casual as a group because the original guys actually were great friends from university. So it made sense. And so for us, 
the great thing, and, you know, I think it's still wonderful that we were kind of chosen without being auditioned. So it wasn't like a, oh, we're going to choose you from here and here and here and here. We were actually all on tour together already performing in different roles of the show. So we knew each other. So we're kind of like family anyway. So that was good. I do remember very early on, I think it was maybe our first performance as the new lineup. And we were in Queensland up the north of Australia at Dreamworld, which has a Wiggles world, like an amusement park. And we were doing a meet and greet. And we did find that children would come towards us. We had, the Wiggles were staying there and, and a set of chairs in front of us to take pictures. And children were definitely coming and standing next to me as opposed to the boys. But we think it's because of a female motherly element. And I was also the shortest. I'm not as overpowering. You know, like Simon is so tall. <laughs> but you see, Greg was tall, Murray was tall, Anto's pretty tall, Anto and Lockie pretty tall. But, you know, I think that is confronting for children when they're so used to seeing us on TV and then seeing us in real life. Like, wow, these people are tall. But lots of children would come and sit next to me on the chairs. And Anto was like, it's so interesting. I think they just think that you're a mum <laughs> and they just come over and sit down. Oh, I think it's amazing. And, yeah, it's a female thing that we have this relationship with children no matter no matter what, whether they're our kids or not. <laughs> they do just tend to migrate our way. Yeah, they're like, oh, all right, yeah, sit down. Like, it was very, we didn't really say anything. They didn't know our names. You know, the first time I heard a child scream my name out in the audience, I was like, oh, how do they know my name? <laughs> That transition was also quite surprising for Simon and Lockie and I in the first place. Oh, totally. The Wiggles has obviously an impressive following and complete global success. What's it like dealing with being on the road and your personal life? I mean, we find as children entertainers, you know, parents and grandparents in particular are tending to have to watch us every day. <laughs> Um, because if the child is wanting to watch Wiggles on repeat, I think we become so much a part of a family's lounge room and their house setting that parents and grandparents feel like they know us because they watch us a lot. And so that naturally leads to parents really wanting to know about us personally or, or believing that they really know about us, and they possibly do. And I think for us, we're so lucky in the Wiggles to be ourselves and have our own names and bring our own hobbies to the role as opposed to playing a totally different character. So a lot of us that you see in the show is us anyway. And so I think that is something that's really nice, but obviously comes with a territory where people are really invested in your personal life. But actually it's quite nice <laughs> because people, especially parents, they're very caring and because it's to do with children, like we would never go out to the shops and I don't even think I've had a negative experience with people that have watched us on TV because as children they're actually so excited <laughs> to see you at any given point in time. So I think that is what's the most amazing thing about being a performer for children is that they are pretty much always happy to see us. <laughs> so that's lovely. And are you always happy to see kids? <laughs> I mean, their energy is infectious. So, And that's something that I can see that must have been a huge part of how the originals toured for that long. I mean, to have a, a band tour and 
film and perform live and record TV series, I mean, that's a huge testament to them, which they pretty much did for over 20 years as the original group. Like it's unheard of really. And I think because of that spontaneity of the child audience, that's what keeps it really exciting because they really do yell out in the middle of the show song requests or questions or statements and we have to stop the show and answer it because otherwise they might be relentless and they might just keep asking. So for us, the show is always different. It's not like being in a musical theatre performance where the show is a script and it's always the same. We have the opportunity to be really flexible and I think that is the best part about the show. And you can see that encourages Anthony this whole time, 30 years, being on the road and having touring and and still loving it. Oh, I can imagine. Is it challenging though on, on your personal life? Do you get to have breaks? I mean, you're on the on the road a lot. I probably wouldn't have noticed until this time now with the pandemic. Now that we've been home for the first time in 10 years, I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is what it's like to be at home. And so, you know, we're really used to being in a different city every day. And that's unlike any other show too, where they would have a stint for like three or six months in a particular city. Because we're used to packing our suitcase, I think one of the more positive things is being able to be home and and focus on the Wiggles as a group and what we've been producing through content. So we've had a chance to film all this new stuff, which has been great. I think there's obviously positives with both sides. The great thing about touring is that no day is ever the same and you get to see so many things and you get to meet so many people. But definitely the travelling aspect and different time zones and customs. <laughs> That's the stuff that takes up your energy because it's quite tiring. But the show is always, always fun. You've got to have obviously a massive support crew to be able to get you to all these shows daily and to have the support around you. How do you take care of your own wellness on tour? I think for me, having my own health situations over the last couple of years has caused me to actually think about different kinds of ways to improve my process before the show and, and a maintaining of physical fitness throughout the tour as well. By changing that and tweaking that over the last 10 years, I feel like I finally got to a spot where I'm like, okay, this is working for me. But I really relish in swimming and trying to go to yoga in any kind of city or going for a walk and trying to eat as best as I can. And yeah, I actually have a traveling kitchen in a suitcase. (laughs) So I cook my own food in the hotel rooms. Wow. I love that. It has saved me. Yeah. It's definitely been a huge change for me. What do you cook? Well, I steam vegetables and I might cook salmon or rice or, you know, kind of everything. But I think in that regard, you kind of get a bit more of a control to what you're eating. When you are traveling all the time, it's hard for people to understand, but there was a point where I would actually never cook. Like it would be years and I would never actually make anything because I never had a kitchen. And so I think after a lot of years of actually eating things from everywhere and not having produce that's as fresh as in New Zealand or maybe in Australia, for example, would be really hard 
for people to know what's in the food and then, you know, food poisoning. Like it just, you kind of get in this particular situation where it's really hard to manage because you don't know. You don't have any control over what you're buying or oh, you're eating. So totally agree. People think being on the road and being on tour and living out of a suitcase and fancy hotels is so glamorous and it's actually not. Like, <laughs> you know, when you actually finally see your own bed and you get to cook your own meal, I mean, it's the one thing that I obviously miss when I'm touring and it sounds like it's the same for you but it's so nice that you actually have realized that your wellness is a huge part of while you're traveling and cooking on along the road that's just a step that you have to take to be able to make every show count. When I was diagnosed with endometriosis a couple of years ago I didn't actually really think about any of that properly like I thought I was being good to myself, but I really wasn't. It was only until it got really bad. Then I was like, oh, I think I'm going to have to change some things. <laughs> and then only once I've changed it, now I realize I'm like, oh, okay. I see what I'm going to need to do to maintain this kind of level, to be able to produce four shows a day with as much energy as I possibly can, basically jump around for over an hour, four times a day. And travel and prepare and you know all of that stuff is trying to put myself in a position where I can deliver the best possible show I can over and over and over and over again. And talking about endometriosis can you tell us a little bit about that journey? Well I wasn't really paying attention to myself and I think being a female you kind of you get used to what you're dealing with and I think when you've had your period for 15 years, all of that kind of seems normal, but I didn't realise that it wasn't. But probably because I was a dancer and I was used to pushing my body to a certain limit, I actually didn't really understand the pain that I had and the symptoms that I had. I didn't realise that that wasn't normal. And so when it got to the point where I was bleeding every single day, I was like, hmm. <laughs> I don't think this is right. But I thought that I was jumping onto cycles of other females in our cast because there was only three of us. So I was like, well, that would make sense, wouldn't it? But then after a period of time, I realised it wasn't. And I wasn't, I was definitely losing a lot of energy and things really started to decline quite quickly. And at that point, from actually having a diagnosis and having surgery was so quick, the turnaround was like something ridiculous, like, three weeks. <laughs> um, but at that stage, I was already at stage four endo. And so it was kind of like, you either have to do this now or like, this is going to, if you do it now, you'll miss less shows rather than continuing on and, you know, trying to figure it out. And at that point, I underestimated how understanding the cast and the crew would be, I guess, because all the other Wiggles are male. They don't have this kind of situation firsthand. But as soon as I was able to tell them, they were like, oh, go, <laughs> help yourself. So that was kind of a huge relief. And in the end, I didn't miss that many shows, but I had two beautiful friends of myself and, and Lockie that came and actually understudied for me for a, a period of like six weeks. And we're so grateful that they came on board and at such short notice because it was, we didn't know either ourselves. And so it was good in that regard, but I didn't realise how overflowing their response would be by just letting people know that I wasn't going to be on the tour for that particular reason. And it hasn't really stopped from there. I've, I get so many mums come up to me during the show. They're so sweet and they're trying to comfort me like, you can still have children. 
like, thank you. (laughs) Um, But, you know, people are, again, they feel like they know you, they watch you, then they find out about this, they can relate, they've had their own issues or, you know, somebody within their family. And mostly parents really just want to reach out and tell their story and, and to try and make you feel like you're not alone, which is lovely because I didn't oh, expect that at all. So nice that you do really fit into the Wiggles in so many areas. You know, it's not just the children, it's the mums as well. And you do relate being a woman and having these woman issues. Unfortunately, we don't actually know a lot about endometriosis because we don't talk about it. It must take a lot of courage being in the public eye and speaking publicly about it. Why is that so important to you now, being Emma Wiggle and going through the diagnosis yourself and going through the surgeries? How can you obviously make an impact to other women? Initially, the only reason why we felt like we had to be upfront was just so that we could let parents know as to the reason why I wasn't going to be there. And it really was because we didn't want to say something that was general because we just wanted to be really specific. Like, I've got endo, I'm having a surgery, I'm really sorry, I'm going to miss some shows, but I'll be back. And that's how clean it was for the parents. But for the children, we had to record a totally different message so that they could also understand that me personally, I wasn't going to be there, but a friend of mine is going to be Emma and that she's going to be there and actually most of the children were fine (laughs) you know they're just so excited to you know see the group and the dancing and and the music that that was fine but for us you know there was a point where I was like how are we gonna what am I gonna say but if I was to be non-specific about it I think we would have had a lot of people go are you pregnant and then it's like the total opposite kind of situation as to what was going on so we knew that the best thing to do was just to be really specific. I just never estimated how big the response was going to be and how many people felt like that was the first time that they could say to somebody that they had had endo or they were suffering or that they didn't know they had it and they had the same symptoms or similar symptoms. And so I think it really just is a platform of conversation, like you mentioned. But when I got diagnosed, I was like, can you write that down? I've never seen that word before. (laughs) So, I mean, it just goes to show how unaware some people are of this particular disease because, yeah, I've never heard about it. And hopefully with research, we'll be able to diagnose it without having to have a surgery perhaps. And I know that's what they're trying to distinguish. But yeah, look, it's it's the same with so many diseases currently. You know, it's just about as many people talking about it as possible actually creates a good, robust discussion for these kinds of concepts and issues. Oh, I totally agree. And especially like in particular in my field with sport and like you said, with dancing, We do create, obviously, different symptoms for ourselves, having to be at a certain weight, you know, for racing or, in your case, for training. And as soon as we start talking to the other athletes or the other females in our group about what our period is doing, that's when we start to realise that we're not all the same and everyone's going through their own journey. So like you say, speaking about it is so important and you have such a big influence to be able to talk about that now. So thank you for your openness on that. You're welcome. Anything. I think we can help each other now. We're in a position where we can help. We're like, actually, if you have a bath, this is going to help with this thing. <laughs> you know, I think that's actually, people just want some kind of like knowingness that they're going to get some sort of relief or that it's going to be better or they can deal with it better. Being a public figure, are there things that are harder to deal with? 
Not necessarily. I think it's, as we said before, touring in general is quite cumbersome. So you end up not seeing your own family, but you see your Wiggly family a lot more, which is actually lovely. (laughs) But you get to the point where you're like, oh, yes, that's right. I forgot I had cousins. And so that kind of thing takes a toll. But everybody's workplace has exactly the same issues. And particularly with this pandemic, no one's been able to see anybody. So everyone's kind of in the same boat there. But really, it's not that much of an issue. It's only, it feels strange to me when there are people hiding in bushes across from my house (laughs) trying to take a photograph of me getting into my car. Apart from that, it's really not a problem. (laughs) But I just think I don't have anything interesting to offer you. So that's pretty funny. I can laugh about it now. But initially I was like, what? Why is a person over there in the bush? (laughs) I just think it's funny now. So it's funny now, but it obviously must have been a bit unusual uh, when you first became Emma Wiggle. Yeah, I mean, for people to have to follow us or be bothered to follow us, you know, we would be like, why? (laughs) What's wrong with us? Generally, that kind of excitement and perception and seeing like what we're like when we're not in the Wiggles, I think for most people is there is some sort of like interest, but that is what is so particular about being a wiggle again because we are mostly ourselves you're not going to find that we have some sort of like wicked witch situation (laughs) like we are naturally quite positive happy people and of course naturally we're human and have our off days but the great thing about being a wiggle is that yeah you bring so much of yourself to the show that it's lovely. It's not like dressing up as Cinderella or having to be a persona and you're playing Mrs. Honey's Hat. Like it's it's really different to that. You get to be yourself. And so many people are like, is your real name Emma? Like, yes, it is. Because it's not normal. I can see that now. People are expecting you to be something else. Oh, yeah, I can imagine it's a, well, I can't imagine being on that side of (laughs) performing and putting myself in front of thousands of people (laughs) every day and touring. But um, the Wiggles song have core messages in there for their fans. And you in particular showcase sign language, which is so important to you. Can you touch a little bit on this? I've always been interested with sign language. And I think initially my, the spark for me to learn sign language was growing up with a friend of mine at school. Her brothers were both deaf, are both deaf, and we would go over to their house and they would also come over to our place and we would play together after school. And I was just fascinated with how the brothers were interacting with each other and how their sister was chatting with them. And I was like, wow, that's like a secret language. That's really cool. Why don't you tell me about it? And I would point to different things in the house and be like, what's the sign for this? And what's what's the sign for this? And how do I, you know, pointing to different objects. And that's how I originally became interested. And from there, because I just love movement in general and body expression, I was like, it's kind of like dancing, quite like that aspect to it, but it's a language. Okay, right. And so I have always tried to learn it and have learned it very casually over many years. And I think during school, I was like, right, I'm going to do this properly. So I enrolled in some community classes and and started them. And then I really wanted to jump into my certificate to do it. But when we went away on tour, it was basically impossible. And being such a visual language and Zoom and Skype and FaceTime weren't really a big deal back then. The All of the classes were face-to-face. And so I think I enrolled 
multiple times to try and do the course and had to pull out after three weeks because I was away. I get really excited. I'm like, I'm in Sydney. I'm in Sydney for a month. I'm going to do this course and I didn't roll. And then it's like, sorry, I'm going to Melbourne. (laughs) And so it never really quite, just never eventuated, which I was upset with. And I had so many friends as part of the deaf community. And I started to get to the point where I was really agitated about not being able to express myself clearly to them because of my lack of knowledge and my lack of being around people within the deaf community and having to use sign language more often. But the positive about the pandemic was that we didn't tour this year and then the entire course went online. (laughs) So finally, I finished my diploma of Auslan Australian Sign Language last week. Oh my goodness. Congratulations. Thank you. So I feel like this particular kind of communication visually members of the deaf community have been using for many, many years. It's one of their primary uses of communication to each other. And so for the course to lend itself to being online and for me to be able to improve my skills. Yeah. I feel very grateful for that particular moment of study this year. So I'm very happy to be in a position where I feel like I can have a better, a more direct conversation with friends of mine that I've had for like 15 years. And they're like, oh, you mean that? Like, yes, I've been trying to say that for 10 years. (laughs) So, you know, it's been wonderful. Oh, absolutely. And now that you can obviously have an impact on children as well and, and make them feel inclusive to everyone standing around them, which is a massive value of mine is being diverse in this world and also um, inclusive. And the Wiggles, you know, for the entire time have always strived to be accessible and inclusive and modelling a very pro-social world and have actually incorporated actions with words and song and dance to show children to mimic and illustrate visually different kinds of language. And we know the benefits of music and song in children's learning, especially in such an early stage. But with the sign language, we notice when we are doing shows, if we have a meet and greet that's before the show for children that might not be able to come to the show, they might be too anxious to be as part of a crowd. You know, there's multiple different reasons. But we notice so many families that sign in amongst their own family circle. And the children may not necessarily have a hearing loss, but they may have autism or they may be nonverbal. And so sign language ends up becoming such a primary way of communication at that particular age group that it's kind of lend itself appropriately to certain things that we've done. So we've included sign language in the live shows and in our TV recordings. And actually last time we were in New Zealand, we met two beautiful interpreters and two deaf women that I ended up having a chance to sign with. And it was a beautiful experience learning a bit of New Zealand Sign Language, which I'm not that familiar with, but our alphabet is the same. So that's handy. (laughs) Oh, so sign language is different in different countries. Yes, there's many, many, many different sign languages. And, you know, different communities borrow signs from each other and that's totally acceptable and kind of good when signs cross over. But really every community has kind of grown in their own way because they're all separated from each other and they have their own dialect, as you might say. So actually traveling on the road, we've been able to pick up different elements of the sign languages of the countries that we tour in. Oh, that's so incredible. Well, speaking of places that you've traveled to, do you have a favorite? 
I do love New Zealand. Ah, yay. (laughs) I mean, to travel to New Zealand is pretty much a dream. And I have loved traveling there over the last 11 years. And I think every experience in New Zealand has been such a beautiful one. And truly because of the people and the culture and the community there is something that's really infectious towards us. Look, we just love being there because everyone's really relaxed. (laughs) So it's a nice tour for us to do and we really can't wait to be there again. Oh, we can't wait to have you. We're Wiggles fans. New Zealand are Wiggles fans. (laughs) I can tell you. (laughs) You about that. (laughs) Obviously, the Wiggles songs are so catchy. Do you ever catch yourself out by just randomly singing them in places? Always. And I think predominantly for us, it's either songs that we're currently rehearsing or we're currently writing or recording. You know, Lockie is one of the most amazing singers ever, ever, ever. And he will end up singing and whistling and you'll hear him singing the melody and you'll notice that he does it quite a bit because he's he feels that that's how he expresses himself. So he will definitely whistle a melody or sing along everywhere, like in the corridor, in the car, at the shops. Like you'll definitely hear him doing that. Anthony will be, you know, riffing out, you know, a certain melody on his guitar. But yeah, when we have to rehearse something that's particularly new for us or it's an old song that we've been relearning again, it definitely gets stuck in your head. (laughs) I can imagine. No, it's so good for the Wiggles because um, as soon as you say Wiggles, obviously I think of the original songs, you know, back in my day when I was a child. But now you obviously are creating and producing new songs. How much of that do you get to have an input into the new songs? So we actually write and produce everything. And so that's a really integral part of the music concept of the Wiggles too. It's it's really music that's come from us, it's written by us, it's played by us, and so we're able to replicate it quite easily on stage and on the tour. We want it to sound like us. We want to be able to play the instruments that are part of the track. And also live music has been such a big part of the Wiggles throughout their 30-year history. We have some really talented musicians that come in and record for us, you know, within a recording session, but mostly Anthony and Lockie play millions of different instruments. That's their forte. And Anthony has such a knowledge of music from all different countries and all different generations that he's like a music library and he'll think of something, I will write a song, he's like, ah, this reminds me of that song and, you know, he'll go and search for this song and, of course, he's right. He's just got that kind of mind about certain different musical intonations as part of a track and he's like, oh, this needs this and this needs that. And I think, you know, having Lockie as part of that really, you know, close creative writing team. He loves playing the piano and plays the piano so well and is very driven by melody. And so the two of them, they kind of like balance off each other. But we have lots of people that we collaborate with as well. And so I think over the years it's been a really nice balance of original music, re-instrumentalising some of the original tracks that we grew up with, making new tracks or joining with friends like Robbie Rockety in New Zealand and, you know, Robbie's written a few tracks for us. So I think that's really nice. It's a very collaborative space. But, yes, we essentially write and produce everything. That's so awesome. And obviously you having such a dancing background, do you get to make up the dances? Oh, well, if you see me on my own generally, but we have an amazing choreographer who's been with us for over 15 years. 
she herds those wiggles all together so that we can all look, we're all doing some similar choreography. The choreography of the wiggles, you know, right from the start over different choreographers has been iconic. And most of the natural dance moves that people remember actually have come from the original wiggles. So the other day, Anthony's like, you know, the pendulum, the wiggly pendulum. Oh, Greg and I used to love doing this one. And so it'll be something that's naturally come from, you know, their instinct of movement. And sometimes it's not necessarily so dancey. But look, our choreography in general comes from all different places. But yes, we have an amazing choreographer, Katarina, who's been there for many, 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 many years. And she knows how to shape us all in together and produce a show, which is wonderful. How important is it to include aspects of education and social messaging in your performances? I guess this really comes from the establishment of the Wiggles in the first place. And three out of the four Wiggles were actually studying early childhood development at university. So it had come out of one of their projects, one of their university assessments to create a musical album for children. And seriously, from then, that's always been the basis of everything. And so when Simon and Lockie and I joined as Wiggles in training, we spent most of those eight months talking with Greg and Murray and Anthony and then Jeff about what's the kind of language that's appropriate to use in a show and to use in a song and what kind of age group are we talking to and is this song a listening song, is it a dancing song, is it a story song? All those songs have different kind of criteria essentially but you'll probably notice that most of our our music when it's written on an album is a collaboration of all those different kinds of songs. It's not all story songs or it's not all singing along songs so it's it generally is a bit of a mixture which gives it that variation, but also to cater for children of different age groups and different developmental stages. So we kind of test all different (laughs) pockets. Can you give some examples of uh, some messages you're trying to send children in the songs? Probably within the new generation, we had a really popular hit with the Glasses song. And it actually came from Anthony's own experience with his daughter, Maria, who she had an eye test and she needed glasses and wasn't really that keen on wearing them. And so we wrote the Glasses song really, really early on. And it's been one of those songs that's just stuck with us for the last eight years. And we sing it quite a lot. It comes up in requests a lot. (laughs) Or parents like, oh, my child is now wearing glasses because they saw you in the clip. And it probably makes sense that I wear glasses too. But now we've had an allergy song, which was really important also for Anthony's family. His son was anaphylactic, is anaphylactic. And we've had the toilet song after many, 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 many decades of parents requesting the Wiggles to write a toilet training song. So these kinds of things, I guess, helpful or aid songs tend to come up in conversations. And we actually receive a lot of that feedback through social media. So parents will write up, can you please do a song about social distancing, for example? And that's really how our social distancing song came about. So I think the great positive thing about social media for us is we have a very, you know, immediate interaction with our fan base so that we're able to create content that is particular to the needs of our audience, which is great. It's helpful for us to know what parents are looking for. How would you sum yourself up in three words? My sign name, which is a name that was given to me by my deaf teacher, is actually, this is a sign for crazy. And my sign name is Double Crazy. So maybe I should say Double Crazy Jumping because <laughs> I think you jump everywhere. <laughs> and that will be my three words. I'm a very busy person. Busy. Busy. 
bubbly jumping. That's awesome. (laughs) And just to finish the podcast, who are you when you're outside of Emma Watkins, the first female member of the children's group, The Wiggles? You'll mostly find me with my arc of animals currently, which you did hear during this podcast, but I have two dogs and two cats, two rabbits, two goats and three chickens. (laughs) And you'll most find me cuddling the goats in my backyard. Are you on a farm or have you brought the farm to the city? It's a suburban farm. My neighbours are like, (laughs) oh, we're just getting used to this now. (laughs) Oh, I love that you still have a wiggly life outside of the wiggles. Very much so. Thank you so much, Emma, for coming on Outside the Lanes. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Outside the Lanes, a podcast proudly brought to you by Westpac New Zealand and produced by Raw Collective. I hope you have enjoyed this episode, and if you did, I would appreciate it if you could rate, review, and subscribe to Outside the Lanes podcast. It helps other people know that it exists. Thank you again to my wonderful guests. Until next time.